Welcome to Purdue Crop Chat, a regular podcast from Hoosier Ag Today and the Purdue University Extension Service, featuring Purdue Extension soybean specialist Dr. Sean Castile and Extension corn specialist Dr. Dan Quinn. On this episode, Sean and Dan welcome Purdue Extension field crop pathologist Dr. Darcy Talenko to discuss disease in both corn and soybeans, but specifically tar spot in corn. As we're looking at this dry and hot weather, this it should you know slow the pathogen down this podcast is made possible by the indiana corn marketing council and indiana soybean alliance your indiana corn and soybean checkoff investments yesterday are paying off today new research new uses demand creation bringing dollars back to the farm check it out at yourcheckoff.org now your host for Purdue Crop Chat, who's your ag today's Eric Pfeiffer. It's the Purdue Crop Chat podcast. I'm Eric Pfeiffer and here with the stars of the show, Dan Quinn, Purdue Extension Pineapple, I mean corn specialist. <laughs> Hello, Dan. Hello, Eric. And Sean Castile is here, Purdue Extension Soybean Specialist. Hello, Sean. Howdy, Eric. Let's uh, let's talk about what we've got out there. We're, we're going to talk diseases a bit later on on today's podcast, but uh, man, it's just been dry. It's been dry. It's been hot. Uh, just not not much moisture and it doesn't seem like any's really in the forecast for the state Uh, our our meteorologist says maybe some this holiday weekend but really only for parts of the state northern indiana looks like it's going to miss out dan what are we seeing out there with corn well the first you know you mentioned i've become the resident pineapple specialist (laughs) for the state of indiana um, with all the dry corn i was asked that yesterday um but yeah, you look at the crop condition ratings, uh, we were 70% good to excellent last week, and now we're 59% good to excellent. Um, and so that's a fairly significant drop, and it's just specific to the drought conditions we have. So a lot of rolling corn out there, um, especially in the northwestern part of the state, you know, those sandier soils, non-irrigated soils, you know, just some pretty severe drought conditions up in that way. And kind of what happened is, you know, a lot of those areas in the state got really significant rainfall, you know, a month or so ago a few weeks ago we were worried about how much rain we had and then now it switched to how dry we had so we had a lot of areas and fields that you know were flooded were ponded and had issues you know poor root growth in those areas and now it's kind of flipped to where those areas of the fields are the most drought stressed um, so seeing really significant leaf rolling some areas where that corn actually turns a little bit gray and that's just you know really severe drought stress uh, that we're seeing across the state so we're we're praying for rain and hopefully we can get something maybe this weekend uh, do you have a rain dance that you can do <laughs> teach everyone I, apparently he's not been a, doing a good job of it. <laughs> i'm trying to you know wash my car you know vehicle more write more <laughs> heat and drought stress yeah. articles just to you know get it out there there. but um the good thing is that you know i mean one silver lining is that a lot of the corn is still in that vegetative growth um it's still you know starting that rapid growth phase so it's fairly tolerant to heat um, especially if it does have adequate soil moisture Um, but where we get into situations where we have leaf rolling you know leaf rolling in the afternoon is is normal especially when you have hot temperatures but when we start seeing leaf rolling at nine in the morning at 10 in the morning and it persists day after day that's when we start seeing potential issues you know the corn in rapid growth phase is determining ear size right now um, you know, the main ear is being, you know, initiated, the tassels being initiated. It's trying to put on a lot of vegetative biomass. And if we have issues and that drought and heat continues to persist, 
that's when it can potentially impact start to impact yield. And as we look towards the future where we're getting closer and closer to pollination um, and that peak water use, the peak biomass of that corn plant, that's when we start getting concerned if these conditions do persist. All right, Dan, educate me. You said corn is determining ear size. So what do you mean by that? <laughs> I mean, are you talking about the number of rows? You talking yep. about kernels? Are you talking yep. about cob size that doesn't care about kernels? <laughs> educate this poor soybean guy. <laughs> Yeah, so right around, you know, the V6 growth stage, so six collard leaves is when that corn plant really starts to determine ear size. So when I talk about ear size, it's rows around, so kernel rows around, and then also the length of that ear, so okay. potential kernel um, all the way up the ear. So from about V6 to V8, um, it's a really shorter window for rows around for corn, and rows around tend to be a lot more genetically controlled rather than environmentally controlled. So your hybrid is probably going to determine rows around more so than um, weather conditions, except in extreme instances. So if we have really severe conditions, it'll impact the rows around. Now the potential kernel length or the ear length, potential kernel number up the ear, that's determined a lot longer period. So from about V6 all the way up to V12, V14, and that's more environmentally dependent. Mm -hmm. So with these conditions, we're having some of those drought stress, heat stress, it's more likely to impact, you know, that ear length, that potential kernel number, rather than it will impact the rows around. Now, certainly when you think those those guys that have pushed, you know, high mm -hmm. yield management, I hear people talk about on the corn that you got to increase seeding rates. And so, I mean, mm -hmm. is that coming into play now with some of these stressful conditions that, you know, droughts coming in, you've got more plants out there. I mean, yes. that's part of the, the push, right? You need more plants, more ears. So how is how are those situations handling it versus, you know, the, the 30,000 plants? Yeah, plants? it's, you know, you get in these drought conditions and, you know, you probably will see those fields that have 30,000 plants per acre probably perform a little bit better than those really high seeding rates, you know, upwards of the high 30s pushing 40,000 mm -hmm. seeds per acre. Just because you have higher plant competition um, in those areas, we've done some, you know, when I was down in Kentucky, we did a little bit of work looking at seeding rates um, across in irrigated conditions versus, you know, dry land, rain, rain fed conditions. And we saw pretty dramatic differences where that corn can tolerate those high seeding rates much better in adequate soil moisture conditions. Whereas when we had dry conditions, we actually saw optimum, you know, seeding rates be around that 30,000 mm -hmm. or the high 20,000. So yeah, that, that could definitely impact, you know, you could be seeing higher levels of drought stress in those high seeding rate fields compared to the lower seeding rates. Gotcha. Yeah, I certainly saw plenty of pineapple fields. I was running east, central, northeast part of the state uh, last week, and I, I shot you a text at like 10 or 11 more. I was like, all right, the pineapples are growing really well over here. And we had the drought map came out that comes out on Thursdays. And so that popped, and we we're starting to see a, a good part of the state. It's showing right now. We'll have a new one come out tomorrow, this Wednesday. But I dare say we're going to have a, a, quite a few yeah. more acres and counties showing up. But I think we're close to 40, 50 percent abnormally dry on the map, a few D1s, but and they were counting on the west central. But from what I was driving, there were some pretty nasty looking fields up on Highway 1 yeah. all the way up. Yeah. Um, I kind of wonder about, we, we talked about, are we ever going to plant? All right, mm -hmm. we had that one, are we ever going to plant? And then we had, you know, oh, let's watch out for tire compaction. And boy, those, those things are showing up now, yes. right? you talked about you've got the pineapple corn and it's it's about the root systems right and those are compromised they're compromised with sidewall compaction tire compaction and then now just uh, 
plain dry in, in addition to that, right? Yeah, so we're really seeing the where the tire tracks were um, mm -hmm. in the fields, compaction issues, guys that maybe pushed it a little bit too sure. much in too wet of conditions that had sidewall compaction, areas that were flooded, that were ponded. Just those areas where we had poor root growth are now exhibiting probably the worst drought uh, symptoms right now. Yeah, I dare say, you know, switching to soybeans, uh, the, the crop that's near and dear to my heart instead of that, uh, that other one that's a weed. Um, soybeans, uh, they're holding on, uh, but uh, we had a, a workshop yesterday and a lot of comments when I asked, so how are the, how's the crop looking? And they said, it's just sitting still. It's just sitting mm -hmm. there. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not growing fast. You talked about the linear phase of growth and, and corn and soybeans is, is entering that phase. But boy, if you don't have the water, they do just look like they're sitting there. Um, I, I talk about it all the time in terms of this early vegetative growth. They're, they're switching from soil supply of nitrogen to get the nodulation and fixation. They're going through that awkward stage of life. Guess what, Eric? That awkward stage of life for soybeans is just being extended right now. Uh, there's going to be a lot of fields that are looking that off green even longer. They're not getting the nitrogen from the soil. Nodules uh, were hit, unfortunately, on the two ends of the spectrum. Cool, wet conditions and hot, dry hit nodulation and fixation, both sides of it. So cool wet like we had early guess what we're not going to have good root growth like you talked about in corn we're not going to have good nodulation and fixation turns off hot and dry like it has been we're not going to have good nodulation and fixation so we're kind of in a, a hard spot in that way um, i'm not seeing as much yet in terms of that that visual symptomology of and drought conditions we're, we're certainly having some of those those fields of soybeans are flipping their leaves they're showing their underneath side so that that silver gray color they're reflecting the sunlight so they're not absorbing as much so they don't have to transpire right they don't have to use much water mm -hmm. same thing on the corn right when you roll yeah, same thing with yeah corn rolling. rolls yep um, I dare say that we probably have, you know, some stomates are closing. You can't see that, but I mean, you've got some of that they're conserving it. The comment that I do want to make on the, the crop um, that's sitting still, it's not really sitting still. It's just not growing as much above ground as we typically think about at this point, especially with the temperatures. We got some pretty good temperatures. They've been hot, but now really moderate. But if we had the soil moisture, they would be growing very fast their growth right now is occurring below ground and so grandpa always talked about i'd rather have dry conditions in june than august yes no doubt and i think we all can appreciate that so right now uh, we're having roots that are developing and grow growing deeper the only thing that i want to make sure everyone is aware of roots corn soybean they do not chase the water. The water soil moisture line pushes the roots deeper. Mm -hmm. So if you're in dry soil and the roots are there, they are not growing. Now, if you have a soil moisture line, that is certainly going deeper and deeper in the soil. And as long as your roots, the tips of your roots are in there, they're going to continue growing deep. And so that, that's the thing that's occurring right now. That upper six, five inches or, or even more, it's super dry. There's not a lot of activity incur occurring in the roots. Well, that was my next question, Sean. We often talk about when soybeans are actually made and it's right. it's not in june it's later in the season so we're not too terribly worried at this point right no i mean we certainly want to have beans i, I have the cutesy saying oh, i'm green to die by the fourth of july right you know grandpa talked about corn back in the day knee high by the fourth of july it's i don't way know past that you know I, I, head high by the fourth yeah of july. i think tasseling's <laughs> the new norm for corn by fourth yeah. of july and uh, i don't know if we're going to be quite there on some of the corn fields i've seen but Usually on the soybean front, I'd like to have the, the rows lapped. I'd like to have them closed by the 4th of July. That usually matches up if we have good timely planting, start to flower out the top. That's a good combination of harvesting sunlight, conserving soil moisture because the gr ground's not getting that sunlight in. 
we're just not going to have the fields that are going to have canopy by the 4th of July. Um, that doesn't mean that we're not going to have good yields. It's just the potential is kind of getting knocked down a little bit. Now, if weather switches and we've got the rain that comes August and September and good temperatures and sunlight, we can still yield well. So we're not, we're, our, our ear size, if you will, is not getting hampered right now like corn is. So if you, you mentioned, you know, nodule formation and, you know, the hot, dry, especially those topsoil layers, yep. you know, is there the potential that, you know, some of those nodules will die off? You know, mm -hmm. is there, are we going to see nitrogen deficiency show up in these beans? Sure. Is there something, you know, folks should be paying attention to with that aspect? Yeah, so I, I think we'll definitely have uh, that awkward stage of life as soybeans, usually about V3, three trifoliates. They're normally nitrogen deficient. They're, they're switching from soil supply. The nodules are starting to fix enough atmospheric nitrogen to supply the nitrogen needs that awkward stage of life is going to be extended so yeah we're going to be nitrogen deficient probably v4 v5 on a lot of these fields um i think what i really start to have concern with is if you're nitrogen deficient as we start to flower uh, so switching from v5 v6 into r1s first bloom and then we're nitrogen deficient that starts to become an issue um, there's not much you can do especially if you don't have water any potential quote rescue treatments um, and they're not even going to always do something like a, an AMS application, ammonium sulfate granular application. It still needs water to work it in, right? Uh, a good saving rain can turn those nodules and those roots around and have about a seven-day seven delay and then start to really darken up and be nice and green. But in terms of management right now, we're observing it. Just see how those leaves are flipping over. In severe drought conditions of soybeans, um, you've got the two side leaflets. They're going to kind of clamp together. Then you really know that you've got some dry conditions. The better indicator, the easier indicator is just look at that, that puny corn crop. And if it's really tied up in a tight roll, you know you got some dry <laughs> conditions. Beans are going to follow suit. They just don't have the biomass right now like you guys do. So our water demand is a little behind what you guys yeah. have in the corn. Yeah, I think Sean kind of brought up another good point is is about, you know, typically in drought conditions in corn, a lot of times we'll see nutrient deficiencies start to show up. Mm -hmm. Because even though the nutrients are there in the soil, we need water to allow that plant to uptake those nutrients so potassium is a really really common one it can show up both in compacted soil areas and then also in drought condition uh, soil areas so i've seen some of that uh, potassium deficiency and it's just we need water it's you know not applying more potassium is going to help you um, it's just we just don't have the adequate moisture to get those nutrients uptaken by the plant i, I yesterday i saw the exact same thing as soybeans mm -hmm. some compacted areas headlands they're pretty famous for seeing uh, potassium deficiency in soybeans uh, uh, potassium moves by mass flow so if you mm -hmm. don't have the roots and you don't have exposure you don't have the water to move it uh, I dare say those fields that are probably closer to the critical level of potassium are probably going to be more prone or even but you can even have those that are above sufficient levels that will show this potassium deficiency in both crops for that matter mm -hmm. um, one question I've had on the corn side I've seen a fair amount of side dressing going out last mm -hmm. week again I, I use run up uh, highway one Mm -hmm. And I saw a lot of fields that looked pretty ratty, pretty ugly, and uh, some were getting side dressed, some had already side dressed. So, uh, what's what's the thought in terms of when that nitrogen is going to get to that crop and actually turn it around? Yeah, that's that's you know, I think a lot of farmers have, you know, the big thing is getting it on there, um, mm -hmm. especially you know you're kind of limited with the growth stage and the height of the corn in order to get the nitrogen out there. Um, but the issue, again, is just the moisture aspect. Um, that nitrogen, you know, if we band it between the rows, 
The good thing is that usually when corn is about V6 growth stage, majority of those roots actually cross mm. uh, between that 30 inch row. Um, but it's the moisture aspect. Again, right. it's similar to potassium where if we don't have moisture, even though that nitrogen is there, it just, the plant's not uptaking it. But the other aspect is, is it being dry. And if you inject it into the soil, you know, it's for the most part going to stay there. Okay. We're not worried about, you know, nitrate leaching losses because of heavy rain. Um, a lot of farmers, if they're putting on the soil surface, you know, a urease inhibitor um, can really help. It can buy you about 10 to 14 days. Mm -hmm. So the big worry is, you know, when it's dry, more so when you have a little bit of soil moisture and it's, you know, hot and dry is when that vol volatility will mm -hmm. really happen. But when it's bone dry, you know, a lot of times that sure. nitrogen is just, it's just going to stay there. So we're just, we're waiting for some moisture for that, for those plants to really uptake that, that nitrogen. Makes, makes sense. Here on the Purdue Crop Chat podcast, uh, we've discussed, it's been hot, it's been dry. Uh, last uh, time we were, we were here, we talked about the weeds that are out there. Mm -hmm. There, there's plenty of that. Uh, also disease we need to be talking about that mm -hmm. as well and to do that we will bring in our special guest here after the break darcy Talenko. we we decided against the disease queen as a, a nickname right we <laughs> we're, we're not going with that we're, we're going to find a different one for for darcy yeah that would be better <laughs> yeah yeah so so we'll we'll bring darcy in here just after the break here on the purdue crop chat podcast planting a seed is an act of faith and even if it makes it to maturity mother nature and markets determine the value right not when you've got your corn and soybean checkoffs. The checkoff is like a little seed coat of protection. It's like planting a penny to grow a dollar. In fact, with investments in research, new uses, and demand creation, we've seen a $12 return to the farm for every soybean checkoff dollar invested. Check out your Indiana checkoffs at yourcheckoff.org. And we're back. We thank the folks from the Indiana Corn Marketing Council and Indiana Soybean Alliance for sponsoring today's podcast and uh we are here at the indiana corn and soybean innovation center in west lafayette recording today's podcast with dan quinn sean castile and special guest darcy talinko darcy what what is your official title so extension field crop pathologist there we go okay <laughs> we'll go with that nickname then it's better than disease queen dancing queen which way we're going <laughs> no dancing queen. <laughs> that'd be dan doing doing the rain dance yep, yep, that'll, dancing that'll queen yep. dan <laughs> that is marked we need to cut that out no i was i was debbie downer all season last year you can be dancing queen dan done <laughs> well gosh where do we start with darcy um I think it might be a little obvious. Maybe the disease we've been talking about for a few years now, anyway. Uh, at this point, you have to be the foremost expert on this, Darcy. I'm talking about tar spot in corn. Um, it's really been running through northern Indiana. I know last year we had reports of it moving further south. Just talk to us about what's going on with tar spot this year in Indiana, what we need to be on the lookout for. So the first thing I'm going to start off with, and we talk about diseases, is the disease triangle right? And so environment is key to what's going to happen this season. Um, we know with tar spot, the pathogens here, we have inoculum levels in northern Indiana across the state that can contribute to the disease developing. We have our susceptible corn host there. But again, it's environment that's going to be the key factor and with this disease and every disease on what's going to happen this season. Um, so as we're looking at this dry and hot weather, this it should you know slow the pathogen down um, but the big issue right now and we haven't uh, you know we haven't really seen a lot of it there may be some lesions out there uh, i have a team out scouring right now to see if they find it um, 
we know we had the weather to, to cause those spores to be released that are surviving. And so that's potentially that with those spores were released, they've landed on the crop. It's going to take us 14 to 21 days to even find the first initial lesion. That little lesion still is not going to be a problem. We got to see how fast it's going to move through the crop canopy to make a decision on whether we want to put a fungicide out to protect the crop canopy. So I guess my first thing is we know we're monitoring the disease. Um, we're out scouring right now to see if we can find it because the, the, if we look at the app, the weather conditions have been conducive. So I want you to use the app as a way to say, yes, it's time to get out and look in my fields. Can I find it in the lower canopy? Do I need to be ready to make a decision to put out a foliar fungicide? Um, for tar spot, generally our timing, R1, VTR1 to R2 has been optimum. If we got to pick a timing, fungicide availability may be a problem this season, so we may we need to be very judicious on how we're going to use it and, and put it out there one good time if we're going to try to protect the crop. I'd say rolled corn right now, we're not going to get good coverage anyways. We need to hold on, hold, you know, but be ready if things change. If we, if we switch over and the water comes back on, I say be ready because it might change that disease triangle again. The environment goes more favorable. It could cause the disease to develop in the crop canopy. And, and with tar spot, I mean, it's not just northern Indiana anymore, right? It well, so I was still looking across the state. We've found the pathogen in 82 of our 92 counties here in Indiana. That being said, northern Indiana is where we're getting the hit on our yield losses. Um, there are pockets in other parts of the state where if we look at the map from last year, central Indiana here in West Lafayette, we had droughty conditions. It came in, I could find it, but it was not causing any yield losses. Water was our problem sure. there. Um, but I know in northern Indiana, we had the right environment. That top third of the state got you know, socked with tar spot. So okay. it's there. We have the inoculum. But again, weather is going to dictate this disease. Unfortunately for northern Indiana corn, that's where we're going to have problems every year. It may flex in whose fields get the worst, depending how close they are to Lake Michigan and that, that lake effect weather. Mm -hmm. um, but again, water's driving this disease. It's the leaf wetness. Mm -hmm. So even if we didn't have rainfall, but if you wake up in the morning and the corn's wet, yeah. that's going to still drive this disease. And that's kind of what that, that app is pulling in is we still some wake, wake up some mornings and we still have wet corn in the morning. Mm -hmm. That leaf wetness through the night could drive the disease. What app are you talking about? Uh, so it's called the Tar Spotter app. Very easy to find. If you search Tar Spotter app, it's available for both phones to download. It's free. You can input your fields, get a weather update. Um, it does take into fact the consideration of the growth stage. So we really don't want anyone spraying for tar spot before V8. Mm -hmm. um, so you can turn it on. If you say you're beyond V8, it'll turn the app on. And then also if you've put a fungicide out. So you have those factors to put in there to turn the app on. I still don't really want right now, you know, we got some corn that's V8, V10. I'm not tr quite ready to tell you to trigger those to spray. I want you to hold on to it, particularly if we only have limited fungicide availability. Mm -hmm. Let's hold on to it and make sure we get good coverage. VT to R2 would be what I would pick. Um, if you're in an area where you've had the problems, I mean, last year was the one year where if we went early at the V8, V10 timing, a second application might have paid. Um, but I, I think we just need to wait and see what the season brings us. So what about uh, some of the, you know, I was driving up to northwest Indiana last week and pivots are running. Um, you know, what about the, you know, the guys that are irrigating? Is that something, are they, they're the ones that should be really watching for the disease or really being kind of careful with, with their irrigation? Right. So um, the irrigation just made the crop grow better mm -hmm. and we've added the water into the system. Mm -hmm. So those would be the ones that we're more closely watching and seeing how irrigation may 
affected. Um, now we've seen some anecdotes on irrigation in between the years. And so like in nine and 20, when we really needed the water in 2020, you may have seen a lot of tar spot under those irrigation rigs, but those that area still out yielded those dry corners. Mm -hmm. Where in 2021, it was opposite, right? We had enough water through the season where we added the additional rain events through the irrigation. We then spiked the disease. And so then those green corners or those corners remain green and yielded out outside of the irrigation. But again, we got to feed the crop the right water but understand this disease is gonna be ramped up with, with additional water put on. So is there it. any way on the app to, to to account for that, right? You know, I mean, mm -hmm. it's bringing in locale, but it's is there a potential for, hey, I irrigated a half an inch uh, this day, that day, so then now it's, oh, I am introducing the environment as you will, you know, the conditions that are favorable. Yes, so on the app, you can enter and nice. your rainfall you added for that month, we're pulling okay. it in. It's, but we're still thinking it's more leaf wetness, it's relative humidity that's probably pushing it more than mm -hmm. the amount of rain going out, but mm -hmm. we add those things and we're, we start, we have research going on this year to see if we can track differences between um, those irrigation events and their dry corners. Um, if I was gonna, in a tar spot field, in, in my mind, we haven't proven this, but I would try to put the water up heavy up front, not like split the water, mm -hmm. but put, if you're gonna put an inch out, put the full inch out and ride it slowly across the field instead of doing two fast runs. Because mm -hmm. if you think about it that way, with the, the lighter lit, we're, lighter application, we have longer periods of leaf wetness. Yep. And so the idea is we wanna limit that leaf wetness when we can to try to keep the disease at bay, but knowing, you know, up in Northern Indiana, we have those morning dews and yep. cloud cover, that's gonna keep driving this disease. So just be ready. I would say much of the Northern part of the state probably needs at least one fungicide application to protect against tar spot. Now, now I have to ask, and I think I know what your answer is going to be, but I'm gonna keep asking it until you actually have one. <laughs> you talk about yield loss and, and what it's doing. Do we know at this point what the hit to yield is from tar spot? From previous years? Yes. So I say we see up to about 50%. So depending on what your yield potential is, depending on when the disease moves in and how fast it shuts the crop down. So if we're at R4 and all those leaves have been blighted by tar spot, we're going to lose a lot of weight on finishing that crop. We generally aim, we generally say 20 to 60 bushel is kind of what we saw. Last year it topped it. So tar spot was the number one disease in the United States for corn on leading to yield losses. It's because we got hit within that region. It wasn't just Indiana. It was, you know, Southern Michigan and, and Northern Indiana have the same conditions they get hit every year. Uh, my counterparts in, you know, Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, it, they don't have that constant lake effect weather on the western side of the lake of Lake Michigan. So they sometimes, it varies on their weather conditions. So previous two years in 19 and 20, you know, Wisconsin really didn't see problems with tar spot, but then they got a lot of rain in 2021. And so they got hit again um last year because of the water conditions so again extra rainfall in this july and august is what's going to ramp it up the disease by the end and all depends on how fast it moves into that crop canopy where it is and how fast those leaves shut down so one i guess one question you know i'm going to ask this because i've been getting it is you know it's hot and dry um there is folks out there that say i'm going to spray fungicide because it's hot and dry because my fungicides help with water use in corn um they you know hope <laughs> and i see you know darcy's facial expressions when i get but it tax soybean <laughs> onto that question too <laughs> but it's it's something we i get asked there's guys that are doing it um you know kind of what what are your thoughts on that and your your uh, comments on there's that, antidotes so. of some of those products providing mm -hmm. some plant health protection mm -hmm. um i guess in my mind i want to conserve my fungicide 
pesticides sure. for when the diseases are active. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly, you know, well, I, wa- I want to be stewards of our products. Mm-hmm. And uh, that it worries me if we're going to go out early and put an early application out for this um, protection against drought stress, but then need to come back in and, and do another application just for the fungicide, you know, to control our diseases. Um, it worries me that we need to we need to be stewards of that just as much as we are for our herbicides on yeah. resistance. We know we have fungicide resistance in our frog eye, mm-hmm. you know, uh, disease where QI resistance is there across the state. We've confirmed it now in 30 counties. I don't want to be pushing the corn diseases down that route. We're probably already there, but we mm-hmm. haven't documented it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my mind, I want you to hold, especially if we're short on product, I want you to hold it for the disease aspect of of the of the corn and I probably get hit with that saying that I want you to do that but in my mind I I want to control the diseases and and now and maybe if so I guess if we go early they're not the products aren't going to be there for when the diseases are active so you're gonna have to go again you keep talking about some of the availability here and have you heard that that's been a major issue this season because I'm I'm hearing different things from different farmers some of them if they've been loyal to their suppliers they're they're able to get what they need and uh, I just spoke with a farmer yesterday who said, yeah, I had to do some swapping out some, you know, some name brands I didn't get, but I can get, you know, different. Mm-hmm. So, so across the board, whether it's fertilizer or fungi, I mean, all of these things that we talked about there being a major shortage on, some folks are getting it and some folks aren't. Is that what you're hearing as well? Yes, and I think there's limitations on what's available where and who could get what product. So if you're looking at efficacy tables and you say, I want this product, you may not be able to get it from what I've heard, but then you're gonna to have to look at product choice two, three, four. Um, so I've heard some of those questions. I've heard there's issues with some of the generics, getting even them because they just, the companies just don't have the product availability. Um, so I'm just gonna, you know, see what you can get and then work with your retailers and finding, you know, options. Even if it's not our number one choice, you know, for tar spot at least, you're probably gonna want some protection out there if the disease is ramping up. So it still may pay off, you know, you still may protect 10, 12 bushels and pay for that fungicide if you can get it out there. You're listening to Purdue Crop Chat, brought to you by your Indiana corn and soybean checkoff organizations. Visit yourcheckoff.org. Are there any other diseases to worry about? We (laughs) talked about tar spot for like 15 minutes. Well, that's what I want. another crop in here. I was getting ready to pivot, Sean, (laughs) just so you know. Uh We can move away from tar spot. We've talked, it's been hot and dry. Are are there any other diseases that are conducive for that environment? So currently hot and dry means really no diseases that we want to do any implementation of fungicides for. Most of our foliar diseases, both in corn and beans, need moisture. So I haven't seen any gray leaf spot. I've not seen any diseases in soybean yet, Um, but we'll be watching them. I have seen some of my counterparts, we do monitor southern corn rust, and so that can move up, and it moved across Indiana last year, um, and that could have problems in pockets. I know that that's been found in Georgia and Louisiana. Uh, counterparts in Mississippi haven't been able to find it yet, but we're watching that to see when those spores move in. We start with a clean slate for at least that disease. So that one we would monitor and that one wouldn't have as much um, moisture effect. It can ramp up without all the additional moisture. Um, but generally most of the diseases we're gonna try to implement something for in season is gonna require some water for that those lesions to develop. So I think about some diseases that do like the, the hot and dry, but is there there's really not much you can do. So charcoal rot is one that right, kind of, kind right. of comes yeah, to Right, right, yeah, so mind. charcoal rot will flare up. You might see aspergillus or other, you know, stalk rot issues, but those are, it's too late and there's really nothing to do. It's other note that you have that problem in a field. So then maybe there's down the line, you can figure out how to control so, it. So what is that? Maybe not everyone's familiar. Let's do charcoal 
example, right? You know, if that pops up, what does it look like in the field for that soybean grower? So you're going to see plants that are wilted or stunted, and you're going to have to dig them up and look at those stalks. Um, the charcoal rot, if you cut open that stalk, is going to have microsclerotia, little black dots through that tissue mm -hmm. in this stalk. So that's one easy way to do it. If you don't know, so we could have multiple pathogens moving in. Seedling rots could occur. So we, you know, we had those log waterlogged fields. Yep. So there was the potential of Phytophthora, Pythiums, mm -hmm. Fusariums to get in. So the early season seedling diseases. Could yeah. have all gotten in. Well, even SDS might have gotten yep. in as well. So then if you're looking and you're seeing issues or you're seeing lesions develop on your soybeans mm -hmm. if you want to identify what's going on you know i'd suggest sending a sample in but again we're not going to do anything in this season to try to manage those diseases but it's good to note for what you need to do down the line should that area get worse sure sure so dan you've got corn how, how far out are you to vt um R1, right? That's the yeah. triggering point is I've, I've learned, I've learned over the years. It wasn't just today on this, on the corn side, but He's so been paying attention How yeah, about er, that? every now and then. So I, I pay I, attention. I struggle with that. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> you struggle with paying attention or you struggle then with me paying attention? You paying attention to me. Yeah. Well, there's a different <laughs> pays issue attention there. To you. Yeah. So Dan, how far out are we VT R1? Yeah. So looking at, you know, kind of the average for the state, we're usually hitting about 50% tassel about mid July. Mm -hmm. uh, for the state of Indiana. And I expect that maybe to be a little bit delayed this year because of the delayed mm -hmm. planting aspects. But you start getting into mid-July, and that's where we start uh, really seeing uh, the tassels start to show up. Yeah. Right. So then, Darcy, again, I'm putting it together. Again, Eric, I'm showing that I am listening and you. critical thinking and putting it together. <laughs> In tune. In tune. So you're saying basically two to three weeks out minimum, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And so, uh, Darcy, you just said it's 10 to 14 days to even start to see you know, the lesions show up. Probably most diseases, but your tar spot's what you're talking about. So right now, probably not seeing much coming but if next week we start to get those dewy mornings and everything else it could match up with what dan's forecasting is vtr1 if we have again go back to your environmental conditions right so we right. get dewy mornings next week or something like that yes and, and so if we if i don't know if we'll find exact if i don't get a sample this week and so if you look at my maps we do track when we see tar spot mm -hmm. turn on um, I need a sample physically for these early symptoms to, to, to turn it on mm -hmm. to say, yes, we have a positive county because mm -hmm. I know as soon as I turn it on, guys are going to be calling. Mm -hmm. Should I spray right away? Yeah. Um, I want you to use the maps again, just like the app to mm -hmm. scout and to be aware of it and be ready to go. Be prepared to, you know, if you need to go out late vegetative sprays, depending on equipment availability or when the airplanes come into town, mm -hmm. that may be an option. But again, um, just watch the weather. And I think first we need to get some rainfall in here. Before yes. we so that was my kind of my question. You know, your team does a great job of tracking these diseases across the entire state. You know, where, where can they can folks you know listening go to see these maps that you have so the uh, maps are available both on my extension website so if you searched field crop pathology extension it should pop up or Talinko extension it should pop up um, it's also available uh, nationally on ipipe corn tracking disease thing but both of those maps are embedded into my website to look at those um, so you can go there if, if you follow us on pest and crop newsletter or whatever mm -hmm. Once it triggers, that there, I'll be putting the newsletter out sure. and putting the word out around, whether it's Twitter or anything, we'll put the word out as soon as we really have good confirmation that the disease is active. I'm gonna be saying again, it means get out and scout, watch for it, understand where your crop is on your farm, and there may be variability of whether you have V6 corn or 
VT corn. I mean, our corn up at Northern Indiana right now is V5, so mm-hmm. we still got a ways to go, um, but we'll see what happens this season. And we'll put some of those links up at HoosierAgToday.com to accompany this podcast. So we'll, we'll have that at the Tar Spotter app um, for both Android and iPhone. Not for BlackBerry. If you've still got a BlackBerry, you've got, you've got bigger problems than I think than tar you need spot. to tell what Dan tell Dan what that is. He might not even know what a BlackBerry is. Physical keyboard, man. Oh, it, was, wow. it was all the rage. Yeah, it was all the rage. But but Darcy, as we kind of wrap up here on uh, today's Purdue Crop Chat podcast, what uh, what advice do you have? What uh, you know, parting information do you have for farmers as they move forward here throughout the season? I think it's just important to be aware of the diseases that are of concern on your farm and each field may be different um, with you know tar spot it's across the region but you know understanding what's the highest risk on your farm and then making an informed decision what you need to do to manage that disease um, we have lots of tools we talked about the apps and maps um, but there's also a lot of efficacy control tables where we evaluate all the products to give you a rating on what works good for each disease in corn and soybean and wheat so all three of those are available the updated ones are available on the crop protection network so that's available so we'll share that link as well um, to search that um, and we try to keep those updated as well so we're trying to just give you the tools to predict when we may need to put a fungicide out or what we need to do to protect those crop from the diseases but just be aware of what's going on your farm and it's important to track them so that would be the other thing is to know when what, what issues happen so you know what happens you know to do down the line I, I want soybeans to get a little love here. So give me a minute or two. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, at least, so at this point, uh, R1, we typically think of the first week of July. It's probably going to be a little bit later than that. So, you know, there's a few areas that can have white mold issues. I don't think that we've got the conditions that are fit for right now, but at least touch on that and then go ahead and put the crystal ball on as you go to the third, fourth week of July when we're going to be thinking about R3, R4 sprays on, right. on soybeans. Yeah, so white mold is the one we do track if you know you have a consistent problem. We need to capture when those spores are being released and when they're infecting the crops. So when we have necrotic tissue, that's when the pathogen's getting in. Um, so again, there's other apps for that too as well. Sporecaster is a good one to predict when those spores are being mm-hmm. released and when the canopy's, you know, closed enough to cause the condition. So white mold again requires a lot of moisture. Mm-hmm. So probably those years we have hard, heavy tar spot. We have problems with white mold. Those mm-hmm. are the both conditions that are going to um, push those diseases along. Um, but then you can make a decision whether you need to protect it R1 or delay it to R2 or R3, mm-hmm. depending on the flowering stage for white mold. Okay. Um, and I, then I want to interrupt right okay. quick on the white mold. As you made a, a similar uh, analogy to the tar spot, um, I, I usually think of the high humidity, moisture, the dense canopy, as well as kind of moderate temperatures, not as hot. So uh, educate the tar spot side. Of it. Does it need the moderate temperature or is it more hot or it doesn't matter temperature as long as it's wet? So we're leaning more towards temperature is not as a big factor as we thought it was. Um, initially, we thought moderate temperatures, but we for see it tar for tar spot. spot, but it's I think we can have a problem in hot weather. Okay. Whereas white mold, though, it likes the moderate temperatures. Okay, Anything hot's going to slow down white mold because it just doesn't like the heat. Okay. Um, so, yeah, each pathogen its own set of conditions, yep, yep. and they, they kind of vary, but they're similar conditions. A lot of our fungi need that moisture to get in yep. there, and they need the right microenvironment sure. for the disease to take off. Um, so again, you know, making, you will have to watch those white mold fields. If you're at flowering and you're at risk where you've had the mm-hmm. moisture conditions, then maybe you want to trigger R1, R2, R3 sure. sprays, depending on what time frame you are. 
and then making the decision for foliar fungicides for you know the r3 application again i would say watch the weather mm -hmm. um, the last couple years we've been dry enough i haven't seen a lot of frog eye yep. really and that's the targeted disease yep. um, it's not the other ones where we're not really going after septoria brown spot it's there but we're not it's really not going to be yield limiting to make a fungicide application um, so just keep an eye on that um, you might see some cercospora blight but again here in northern in indiana it's not really yield limiting it's the frog eye oh, i guess when i was here in eight, 18 we had a bad year mm -hmm. where it was wet mm -hmm. and it, it hit the canopy hard and then we had seed issues at the end yep. um, but again it's monitoring that so frog eye we can get out and scout and make an informed decision yep. if we find a few lesions and you got a susceptible variety then it, that's going to trigger yes we need an r3 application thank you for showing a little love to the no, soybeans i do soybeans it's supposed to be half my job <laughs> it just, just, just depends on what and, you know <laughs> and you know apparently there are more soybeans in indiana this year than corn well, i don't know 16 17 dollars a bushel and might might need a little scouting so yeah no, i appreciate <laughs> well, that yeah. rc yeah well we'll find out really uh, tomorrow about yep. the uh, the acreage report yep. that comes out from usda mm -hmm. I, I was going to start a campaign about you know indiana beach changing their their slogan it there's there's more than soybeans in Indiana. We've got to get that going. I like that. Darcy, thank you for joining us today on the Purdue Crop Chat Podcast. Really appreciate it. It's been great to join you. Thank you. Sean, parting information here as we wrap up today's podcast. Yeah, I think the name of the game is still we always like to get out, see what's going on in the fields. Uh, they are going to be struggling for a while. Uh, so digging up plants, uh, look at the roots. I think that's a big part of just understanding what's going on. So whether it's nodule issues or just rooting because it's dry uh, and just be prepared for soybeans that are going to be stagnant for a little bit. But um, when we go two weeks out, we're in the second week of July. And if we're still stagnant and off green color, I assume we're going to have another podcast by then. We need to start thinking about, uh, you know, leaf sampling and see if there's any nutritional things that we need to be doing. Dan, any, know, anything for those pineapples? <laughs> well, I think the first thing is, uh, you know, folks can go to YouTube or Google rain dances. Yeah, um, there you go. You know, find a way to. Dancing Queen Dan, maybe, YouTube. Maybe <laughs> folks that have hay, maybe cut some hay. Uh, <laughs> Um, wash your cars, try and get some yeah. rain. But the big thing with corn is that we're approaching, we're approaching tasseling, you know, mm -hmm. we get into to mid July and that is just the most critical period for corn. Um, it's not, you know, soybeans flower and they flower for a long time, they you do. know, corn it's really, it's a week to two week window. Um, and it's a really critical time period and it can really make or break your corn crop during that time. you think about the silks, you know, the emergence of the silks, silks are mostly, mostly water. And when we have, you know, these hot, dry conditions, you can have, you know, delayed silk emergence, you can have silk desiccation, you know, in really extreme instances, you can have um, conditions, you know, hot temperatures that impact the pollen too. And we just need that synchrony between the silks emerging and the, and the pollen being released to those silks so we can form those kernels. And if we have these stressful conditions at a time period where corn is at its peak water use and peak biomass production, and that's just that short window of that pollination. If we have issues during that time period, it can really make or break the corn crop. So we're really trying to pay attention to the, the corn as we approach tasseling, and, and hopefully we get some moisture in that time. And we can find out if we get that moisture. Hoosier Act Today Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin has the Indiana Farm Forecast and the Hoosier Act Today podcast each and every day. I know it's something that folks are watching very closely at this point, trying to figure out when that rain is moving through. So guys thank you hopefully we do get some of that rain by the time we get back together here in a couple few weeks and uh you know gosh our, our farmers need it our farmers need it bad <laughs> they're they're looking for it already so 
guys, thank you so much. We really appreciate the time. And uh, again, we'll do this again here in a couple of few weeks. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Eric. This has been Purdue Crop Chat, a regular series featuring Purdue Extension's Dr. Dan Quinn and Dr. Sean Castile, made possible by the Indiana Corn and Soybean Checkoffs, the Indiana Corn Marketing Council, and the Indiana Soybean Alliance. The Checkoffs are pleased to help bring you agronomy insights from Purdue Extension, Purdue Crop Chat, a service of Purdue University Extension, and Who's Your Ag Today, timely, relevant, credible.